So this morning, we're going to continue our journey through this book of Galatians. And um, I love how one theologian called the book of Galatians the Christian's Magna Carta. Right? That statement of freedom. That statement that we as followers of Jesus Christ are truly free. We are truly free. We are free from the penalty of sin, even though we are still obviously sinners. We are free now from death, even though we still will have to die, but it's only a brief time period and that we will live for eternity in a reality and in a world, by the way, here I believe in a new created world in which heaven will descend on this new created world and we will once again live on earth as Jesus had originally created it in the Garden of Eden, which you and I have never got to experience at all. We will live in that reality. It will happen. And as Christians, we know we are free and we rejoice in that freedom. However, what we also realize, as is natural with any sort of freedom we have, is that there are oftentimes those who want to do one of two things. Have that same freedom or want to take away the freedom we have. And sometimes, surprisingly, that even happens within the church. That there are others who look at the way that maybe you're living and as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and that you're living free, right? You are free, but maybe they have an issue with the fact that in your living free, you haven't gotten your tattoos removed. Right? You haven't gotten your tattoos removed. Oh, that's terrible. Or maybe in your living free, you know, you're still in many ways just kind of enjoying an occasional alcoholic drink once in a while. Well, you should stop that right away. Right? You need to stop that right away. That's, that's not living free. Maybe there's some of you who still, in terms of your living free in Jesus, you still like to ride a motorcycle. Sinners. On a motorbike. The death traps, right? You know, motorbikes, motorcycles. I've got nothing wrong with motorcycles. I sometimes consider them to be the um, equivalent of horses, the animation of horses. Horses are fantastic animals, but man, I get scared riding one of those things. Motorbikes are the same way. Unpredictable kind of thing. And there's always someone who comes along and they want to take those freedoms away from you because quite frankly, this don't think you should live that way. What's funny about that, it's usually penned or to what they think is freedom and how they think Christians ought to live and all that kind of stuff. And so we try to limit those things and we try to die on hills that we should never die on when it comes to the gospel message. When I was in college, I was in Mexico on a school trip over the summertime, and I came across a situation that I was involved in where we were dying on hills we never should have died on because we had an opportunity that to read some scripture and do some devotional time, and there was a request from one of the members in our group that we would read the scriptures not using the male words that are oftentimes the default in scripture. 
the male pronouns and stuff like that. That if we could make those more gender inclusive, not gender unspecific as maybe what it is today, but gender inclusive, use men and women kind of thing. And at the time, I was a lot worse than I am today when it came to that sort of stuff because I was pretty extreme. Hard, no, hard to imagine, right? Um, I'm not the loving, you know, teddy bear that you see before you today. All that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you get hit with a two-by-four, metaphorically speaking, enough times, and one of two things happens. Either you enjoy the pain or you change because of the pain. Uh, I changed because of the pain. I stopped. I didn't want to get hit with two-by-fours anymore kind of thing. And began to realize, you know, it's foolish to die in those things. Yet at that time, I was offended. I was like, no, no, no. It says it in the, in the scriptures. We have to use the male pronouns, you know. All that kind of stuff. And, oh, there was tears and weeping and gnashing of teeth and all this kind of stuff. And I look back on those things at that t- right now and I think how foolish it was for me to go to the mat on something like that. I mean, we, we want to die on hills that we should never die on. I think sometimes we want to die on those hills because, you know what, we're just itching for a fight. Right? We're just itching for a fight. There's that scene, I, I, I'm going to date myself a little bit, there's that scene in Braveheart, I don't know if you've, any of you have seen the movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson and William Wallace and that whole thing, and you know, there's a scene where they have lined up, the, the Scottishmen have lined up against the British and their, you know, all that kind of stuff, and, and Mel Gibson mounts his horse and starts riding off, and one of his men says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm going to go pick a fight. And the guy turns to his, his fellow soldier and says, well, we didn't get dressed up for nothing. Right? I think sometimes as Christians, we want to pick a fight. We want to die on hills we should never die on. Things like wearing a mask. To me, this is my own personal perspective, I think that's a hill I should never die on. Well, I shouldn't be told to wear a mask. I shouldn't have to wear a mask. You know, all this kind of stuff. It's a violation of freedom and all that kind of stuff. But as Christians... We ought to have a much bigger perspective and understanding it's not about us. It's about others. Yes, wearing a mask is inconvenient. Wearing a mask isn't fun. Wearing a mask doesn't make us look good, of course, but it certainly has produced a lot of great memes. They're memes, for those of you who like to pronounce them incorrectly. I pronounce them memes. All right? One meme I just saw this past week said, I never thought I would, there would come a day when I walk into my bank with a mask on and ask for money. Right? Who would ever have thought that? Right? And yet, here we are. And yet, there are Christians who are dying on this hill saying, don't tell me I don't, I should have to wear a mask. All that kind of stuff. And there are Christians coming out and making statements, even churches and all this kind of stuff about this thing. It's foolish to me. Wear a mask. If I'm going to help others be healthy and not get a disease, even if it's not the flu or the cold, do you realize that anybody here of a really bad case of flu spreading this past year? Or even of colds? I mean, there's something about a mask. We don't share each other's germs. For you germaphobes, this must have been like heaven. For you introverts, this must be like heaven. Right? Now you gotta come out. And it's like death. 
There are things here, I say that, I'm not saying that to make a political statement or anything else. Um, however, I do say this, is that whenever we have freedom, there may be those that want to come along and either want the same freedom or try to take that freedom away. And it is true with the gospel. And as we have been looking at in this book of Galatians, is that we have been looking at the fact that Paul is writing to this region. And in this region are several churches that he has planted. In this region are churches that he has started, that he has gone there and shared the gospel, that he has known these people, he has discipled these people. And now when he leaves, another group of people come in and they try to implement their version of the gospel, which is, quite frankly, restrictive. Trying to take away the freedom that Paul gave them when he shared the gospel with them. And now Paul is not going to have any of this. And in fact, when you look at the book of Galatians, you see in this book the absolute rawness of Paul. Paul says things in this book he doesn't say anywhere else. Because he will have none of it. Anyone who wants to compromise the gospel, Paul will not tolerate that at all. So this morning, we are going to look at and press more into what was going on that was happening that they, you know, that Paul was so amped up about, that he was so passionate about, that he was absolutely, you know, just writing this letter in many ways, showing a side of him that we oftentimes don't see. Paul was not being a polite Christian in this letter. And we'll get to the really good parts in just a little bit. But Paul just absolutely shares it bluntly. And what was it that was going on here? We're going to press more into that because what was happening here was not so much about him being attacked, although that was happening. But more importantly, it was the gospel being compromised. And for those of us today, that is still a very real threat. The gospel being compromised. Us believing in a gospel that is not the true gospel. Us accepting a gospel that in the end isn't accurate, isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at what it is that Paul does when he himself experiences this restrictive nature that others want to put on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that in learning what he does, we can learn what we can do whenever we face pressures about putting things on the gospel that is not the gospel message. Okay, are you with me still, church? So, here's the thing that we're going to look at. We're only going to look at five verses today. Don't mix that up with this is going to be a short message. It may. It's just five verses. But there's a lot in these verses that we're going to look at today. But there are two things I want us to see today that we can do, that Paul does, so that we can know and stop anyone, even ourselves, from trying to water down, from trying to distort, from trying to compromise the gospel. And here's the very first thing we can do, and it's this. Submit to the whole truth of the gospel. Submit to the whole truth of the gospel. Now, let me read for you just two verses out of Galatians chapter 2. Paul says this, Then, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, 
taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who are of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. So Paul goes up to Jerusalem. And by the way, he hadn't been there for 14 years. This is not his after conversion visit to Jerusalem. This is a different time. And theologians have a hard time placing exactly when this happened. It may have been maybe when the churches in Jerusalem and others were experiencing a severe famine. That time, who knows? We don't exactly know. The date is a little fuzzy, but that's irrelevant. Here is why Paul went up. He went up to share a revelation with those. Who are those? Peter, James, and John, the chief apostles. The three who are with Jesus, the most intimate times of Jesus' earthly ministry. These three guys. Paul went up there not to get their approval, necessarily, but rather to share with them the revelation and also to see, are we unified on this? Do we agree that this is the gospel message? Now, here's the problem with this gospel message. What is the gospel message? Someone once said, if you read the scriptures, you might be tempted to think that there are several gospel messages here. No, that's not right. What there are is several expressions of the gospel message, but there is one gospel message. So last week we looked at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever what in him will not what, but rather have. That's a great gospel message. Let me help you look at a different one. Expression, not a different message, but a different expression of that message. Romans 6.23. This is oftentimes called the evangelistic verse. You could do some really neat things with this verse to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, Romans 6.23. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a really good gospel message. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. By the way, if you've ever seen the evangelistic message out of this passage, it's sometimes portrayed as two cliffs, one on each side. You are on one side, God is on the other. You try to do good works, but you fail every time to try to reach God, and you fail and you fail and you fail. The only way, because all that you have earned is sin. We have earned sin. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Right? We, as human beings, have earned death because of our sins. Those are our wages. We can never reach God. But then all of a sudden, in the center of that gulf between us and God is Jesus Christ. And it's oftentimes pictured as a cross. And it's because of Jesus that we can finally reach God. Great evangelistic verse, right? When I was uh, in Wisconsin trying to decide my next step before I wound up here... Uh, my Lori and I went to a uh, assessment, church planting assessment. We thought maybe even planting a church might be an option. And there was a, 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 a module that we had to do in which we had to share the gospel with a person who pretended to be a non-believer, an assessment person, right? And so I was like, oh, I'm ready for this. Equipped, ready, Romans 6.23, baby, bring it on, right? I go in there and I'm proud of myself and I'm sharing the diagram and all that kind of stuff. And I was told, and Lori does her thing, And I was told afterwards, because I thought, oh, I nailed it, right? I got it down, man. The evangelistic message, I got it down. I mean, this is easy. You want to know about the gospel? Here it is. I'll lay it out for you right away here, right? 
I had it down. No flaws, no whatsoever. And afterwards, I was told by the assessor, yeah, you need to read a certain book, Inside the Mind of Unchurched Harry and Mary, because of the fact that, you know what, although you knew, you didn't really get to where I was. Lori, instead, what she did was she shared relationally. Well, that's really interesting. Tell me more about your journey. She asked questions. She had flying colors on that one. She was a better evangelist than I was. Seriously? Yes, it's true. It's true. Anyways, that is a great verse. That is a great verse to explain the gospel message. Again, one gospel message expressed in many different ways. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. In fact, here's the thing. The gospel message typically consists of three things. Three elements in every gospel, in the gospel message expressed in different ways. Here's one. Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah who has come to earth as a servant to die for us. To die for our sins and giving us the gift of justification by grace through faith, not by works. All right? One is Jesus came as a servant. Two, he came to die for us. And number three is this. Jesus has conquered sin and death that had dominion over us. That's the gospel message expressed differently in the scripture passages. Romans 6.23 is another expression of those three things. That's the gospel message. Period. It's a beautiful message. I love what the pastor and theologian Timothy Keller says this about the gospel. The gospel is simply this, he writes. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. People who believe this gospel message, lives are changed. Hearts are changed. People who absolutely believe this, lives are absolutely changed. Who accept this gospel message are changed. I love how one author says this, wherever Jesus has been proclaimed, we see lives changed for good. Nations changed for the better. Thieves become honest. Alcoholics become sober. Hateful individuals become channels of love. Unjust persons embrace justice. The power of the gospel can bring spiritual drifters home, turn violent people to embrace peace, give hopeless, deep hope, addicts freedom. It can cause the strongest man to weep, others to leap for joy. It can even cause the most hardest and hardened person to become the most compassionate, sensitive person you have ever met. That's the power of the gospel. It saves lives. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who follow Jesus Christ today, let me say this. Never forget the power of the gospel. Last week we talked about your story. And your story is about God's redemption of your life. That's the gospel message. That He came in and saved you. That whatever it is you have done, the sins that you have committed, you are no longer defined by those sins. That is not your story. Your story doesn't end with, well, that person did this and that, good luck. No, your story, because of Jesus Christ, ends with, and Jesus forgave me and I live with Him forever and ever and ever and ever in eternity. Praise Him. That's your story and my story. The Gospel message changes lives. 
Period. That's what the gospel message does. It absolutely changes lives. You cannot help when the gospel is preached and you accept it to be changed because of it. It, uh, God is oftentimes called the hound of heaven. He is out pursuing us to save us. I love what George Whitfield, who was a phenomenal preacher of his day, he said this. Other men may preach the gospel better than I. I seriously doubt that. He truly was a phenomenal preacher. But no man can preach a better gospel. But no man can preach a better gospel. The gospel message is life-changing because Jesus changed our lives. Because Jesus changed our lives. There are stories and stories and stories of people whose lives have been changed and we're one of those many, many stories of Jesus changing our lives because He came in and we finally realized that our sins have been forgiven That Jesus laid down His life for us. God Himself gave up all that He had a right to, to become human and to live our life, to face the temptations you and I have faced. And in doing so, provided a perfect sacrifice so that you and I could have life eternal. We could be saved. That is the gospel message, plain and simple. Someone once said this, the gospel is shallow enough for a three-year-old to wade in and yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. I love that. To this day, there are theologians just trying to unpack the gospel. It is a story that no human being could have ever conjured up. No human being. And let me just say this. For anyone who has not yet accepted the gospel, man, it is not too late It is good news. It is news for you and for me. It is good news of hope and of redemption and of new creation and of transformation and of life change. It is possible. What we may view as impossible is absolutely possible with God. Period. It can happen. And we need to embrace or submit ourselves to the whole truth of the gospel. The whole truth of the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, we are sinners in need of grace. We are sinners in need of salvation. And Jesus came to give us that salvation. And to give us victory over sin and death. Plain and simple. Paul goes to Jerusalem and says, Hey, are we in agreement this is the gospel message, guys? Yes, we are. This is the gospel message. Because here's what was going on, and this is the second thing. Not only do we need to submit to the whole truth of the gospel, but here's the second thing. We need to stand firm on the whole truth of the gospel. Here's what Paul writes, beginning with verse 3. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This is the first time that we are getting a sense of what was going on here. Of what was happening, and why the gospel was being threatened. This is the first time we mention, that he mentions it, finally. And he says this, that be, but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, 
so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Here's what was happening. Pretty simple. Excuse me, Jewish Christians coming in and saying, hey, guess what? If you really want to be a true Christian, you've got to be a Jew first. In order to be a Jew first, you've got to be circumcised. Because that's the mark of being a Jew. Primarily for a male. You see, for a Jewish person, circumcision was incredibly significant. Not only did it mark the covenant between Abraham and God that was established well before this time came, where now Paul is in Jerusalem, but not only that, it also marked the identity of a Jewish person, primarily when they were being persecuted. And thirdly, it also marked the significance of one who was now repenting by cutting off that which was no longer needed, no longer helpful, no longer, uh, you know, something that might have prevented them from knowing God, was cutting off. It was a symbolism. And now all of that was wrapped up in this. And you can imagine for a Jewish person who came to know Christ, how important their Jewishness is. And the fact that God chose us. We are God's chosen people. Jesus Christ was Jewish. Jesus Christ was circumcised. And we know this. If Jesus Christ was circumcised, if it was good enough for him, it was good enough for us. Right? If it was good enough for him, it was good enough for us. I sometimes hear that around here sometimes, right? If the King James Version was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Right? Where have I heard that before? We sometimes think that because if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. That everything that Jesus did, we also need to do. But the problem that Paul knew was happening here was not so much the fact that those people wanted these Gentiles who were uncircumcised to now become circumcised because that's what Jesus did. But what Paul realized is what they were trying to do was trying to once again create a national identity. Because here's the other thing that many Jewish people believed, is that Jesus Christ would come back when all of a sudden Jerusalem would be rid of all of these uncircumcised Gentiles. Then he would return. That's a very different perspective of Jesus' coming than the one we have, don't, don't you think? That's another reason, big reason why these Jewish Christians wanted these Gentiles to be circumcised. And what Paul recognized was, not only was this not necessary, this was now adding to the gospel, and now adding to the gospel, you were now compromising the message of the gospel. And that was wrong to him. It was contrary to what the gospel message is. And Paul would have none of it. Is that anything that Paul viewed as adding to it was a threat of watering down the gospel message compromising the gospel message and he would not yield to it he even says here we would not even yield an hour so that the truth of the gospel so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you how many times do we face pressures to kind of change the gospel message You know, the gospel message is kind of offensive. I have to admit that I'm a sinner. I have to admit my need for Jesus. I have to admit that the route I'm on is not good anymore. I have to do these things. How many of us have oftentimes felt as though, man, 
you know, these people, they reject the God. Maybe I need to just, just tweak it just a little bit. So maybe it's just a little bit more acceptable because I so desperately want these people to know Jesus. There is a real pressure for us, I think, at times to compromise, to tweak, to add on or to take away the gospel. And let me just say this, is that any time we do this stuff, we risk compromising the gospel message. Any time we emphasize forgiveness over repentance, we compromise the gospel message. Any time we emphasize that Jesus isn't really fully God or can truly save us, and we place ourselves over Jesus, we compromise the, go- the gospel. When we promise things the gospel never promises, we compromise the gospel. When we emphasize free gift over cost, we compromise the gospel. And we need to be careful about that. And Paul says it clearly. We will not compromise at all. I love what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15 as he is sharing with the Corinthians there. And he says this. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that being Peter, then to the twelve. That is the gospel message. Period. Another expression of it. And Paul says, stand firm in it. Do not add to it. Do not take away from it. Jesus came. He died for our sins. And now we are free from the penalty of sin, which is death. And we can receive this by grace, through faith, not by works. And that's not always an easy message to hear. Let me just say this. One of the things that I believe that we need to work at here at Summit Ridge and we will continue to work at is we will not compromise the gospel message. We will fight against adding to it. We will fight against taking away from it. We will absolutely do our very best to always remember the simplicity of the gospel message. That we will not put on anyone expectations that we think they should have in order to follow Jesus. Anyone except that which is simply believe. Accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's it. There is nothing you can do outside of believe. Nothing. Just believe. You don't have to give. You don't have to serve. You don't even have to attend church. I hope you'll come. I want you to come. But you don't even have to do that to accept Jesus. I hope in response to being saved, you'll want to do those things. But you don't need to do those things to be saved because there is nothing you and I can do to ever earn our salvation. Amen? You and I can't work hard enough to do it. So stop trying. Stop trying to impress Him. 
He's not impressed. And he loves us anyways. He loves us anyways. You know what I sometimes think of when we try to impress God? I sometimes think of my children when they were younger. And for those of you who are parents, you might know what this is. That everything they wanted us to drop and watch a show that they wanted to put on. Look what I can do. Right? Look and stop and look what I can do. And it's cute. But after a while, you're like, police. We need to back this up and limit this stuff because this isn't working. I love you regardless. You are talented. You are gifted. You are good looking because you're my child. That's what Jesus, I believe, says to us. Listen, stop trying to impress me. I love you. You are gifted. You are talented. And I love you. And you are good looking because you're me. However, you're not perfect. Just follow me. Believe in me. That's all you have to do. And as your pastor here at Summit Ridge, I want to tell you this. We will work hard against ever trying to compromise the gospel. We will not do it. We have to admit we're fallen. We have to admit we're sinners. We have to have a desire to want to change. And we have to simply believe in Jesus Christ as the one who can heal us, who can save us, and give us victory over sin and death. Amen? And this is why. And I'll end with those words. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or Gentile. For those of you here today who haven't yet embraced the gospel, It's simple, not easy. It's simple. Believe. Believe by recognizing in your own life that you have fallen short. By recognizing in your own life you have not achieved salvation. By recognizing in your own life that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And then receive it. Follow Jesus. For those of us who already have done that, And maybe you did that a long time ago. Maybe you've forgotten that story. And now you look at some of these new believers and you're like, they ought to do some things differently. I cannot believe they're still doing this and all that kind of stuff. That boy, I tell you, what kind of message is this? Let it go. Remember your story way back when, when you accepted Jesus, because chances are someone was saying the exact same thing about you. Someone once said this, an angry person who comes to know Jesus is now an angry Christian. Just working on their anger. An impatient person who comes to know Jesus is now an impatient Christian. Now Jesus is working on their impatientness, if that's a word. Remember your story, church. Remember the gospel. Never forget it, because it's a beautiful, beautiful message. Let's pray. Jesus, I am grateful. I am grateful for the simplicity and yet the depth of the gospel that you have shared that you have given, and that you offer to every single one of us here today. Father, I pray that if there's anyone who has not yet accepted that gospel message, I pray today, Jesus, would be the day that they would. I pray today that they would embrace you, Jesus, by understanding themselves, understanding that they are broken, sinful people in need of you, Jesus, of your salvation through grace by faith, not by works. Jesus, thank you so much. 
for the fact that everyone can understand this gospel message because it is simple enough to understand it. I pray, Jesus, help us as your followers to not mess with this message in any way. Guard our hearts and our temptations to want to add to it or take away from it, whatever it is. And yet give us the boldness and the sensitivity to share it. Because it is good, good news. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.